have a beautiful friendship. Rhodes? Where we're going, we don't need Rhodes. No. I am your father. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. You're listening to After the Ending, the only film podcast where we tell you what happens after the ending of your favorite films. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Spring and Phil Edwards. Hello, 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 and welcome to After the Ending. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And tonight we are here to talk about movies, 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 and nothing but movies, except we might talk about a few things other than movies, but mostly <laughs> movies. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Yeah, there might be some TV and maybe some other bits in our recommendations, but on the yeah. whole, it's going to be movies as normal. Yeah, you, guys, you guys know the drill, um, but that's what we're here to talk about, is talk about movies, and uh, this is episode This is episode 149. Now, I have to, I have to mention this, I feel like, because I'm a little OCD with these things. There was a slight mishap in some of our numbering on some of our various channels recently. I think we had kind of both of our most recent interview episodes, one with Chad Michael Collins, who's an awesome actor and a friend of the show, one with Garth Ennis, comic book writing superstar. We're both numbered number 147 at one point or another on various platforms, but... Chad was 147, Garth was 148. This is officially 149. Next episode will be our official 150th full-length episode. Wow. So, um, just wanted to clear that up. But get that. You'll get the. That's the boring nitty-gritty stuff. Let's get to the fun stuff. Phil, almost tell 150 episodes. Right. Almost 150 episodes. That's crazy. Yeah. You know, wow. but now here's the thing. I am toying. I, I I always toy with the idea of renumbering them all because we have all those mini episodes in the beginning, and we don't really do those anymore. So mm. I feel like I should renumber everything and just make them all official episodes. And because I feel like saying we're at 150, but we've really done like closer like 200 episodes. I think we had almost 50 mini episodes. So I that's I true. We should yeah. credit for that, you know. Yeah. But I don't know. That seems like a lot of work also. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. it's going to throw everything off. And we're like, oh, if you want to hear what we thought of this movie, go back to episode 27. But then it won't be 27 anymore. So That's a good point, yeah. Keep it to what it is. Point. But it's still, you know, they're all there to listen to on whatever you listen to podcasts. And it's we recently did the videos as well. So you can catch us now on YouTube as well. Yep. All of you watching live on Facebook, you can, which is now, hi. You can Hello. leave comments as well uh, on the Facebook page when this is live. And we'll be able to respond to them and throw them up on the actual uh right we'll try to actually throw up on your comments as as phil just kind of said we'll we'll try not to do that because that's gross yeah we can bring them up on the screen right there you go (laughs) that just sounds a little better it does yeah yeah (laughs) so phil why don't you tell people what we're talking about tonight i'm excited i think we have a really fun show tonight yeah we're going to be going after the ending of last of the mohicans the uh the excellent daniel day lewis film uh, which should be fun we're going to be talking about our top five favorite or top five best explosions in film mm-hmm. and we're also going to be discussing uh, morbius and how's the best way to put it films which in a, a franchise here's what, here's what i called it Go juggernaut on. film franchises okay and then what to do when they're not quite the juggernaut they used to be yeah, so, yeah. but the the, the 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 headline is we talk about juggernaut film franchises but there's more to it than that. And it's more yeah. about like, you know, event, you know, kind of how, how they go, what happens when there's the, that one film comes along that maybe isn't living up to the rest of the franchise. So that's what we're yeah. going to talk yeah. about a little bit too. Yeah. Oh, um, the Sony effect in the case. Yeah. of <laughs> That's not, but it's not just Sony. No, that's true. Um, that's true. There are lots of other explosions, explosions, uh, <laughs> those two. lots of other types, but uh, just because Morbius is the, the most recent one. Right, and, and, and for the record, this will all be spoiler-free for Morbius. Not that there's a ton of spoilers in it, but it will be spoiler-free. Uh, I don't know if you've even seen it, Phil. I have seen it, but that was really – that's just the t- the kicking off yeah, point. Yeah. We're not really going to even talk about Morbius all that much. We're really going to use it as a as a launch pad for our topic. That's right, yeah. So, so. Got that, and also we'll be doing our usual uh, after-the-ending recommendations, which can be anything. can be films, books, games, anything that's been taken off fancy over the past couple of weeks. Exactly. All right, well, why don't we go ahead and jump right into things and start talking about 1992's Last of the Mohicans. Phil, you said it was the excellent Last of the Mohicans, so I'm guessing I know how you feel about this film. Tell us how you feel about Last of the Mohicans. I think it's one of the worst films ever. No, I really like this one. It's uh, It took me a while. I didn't see it when it first came out. Uh, I'm not sure why. Uh, maybe, I think, as Daniel Day-Lewis, lots of his films were all quite kind of like at the time. Were more like he seemed to be doing like 
kitchen sink dramas as they were over here where that's i think he's done my left foot and things like that and mm-hmm. the one where he's uh he was in prison oh, i've forgotten the name of it sorry but uh and the name of the those kind of ones where I, I watched and enjoyed but i just they always seem to be a bit too serious if you know yeah. what i mean and yeah so when they came on i you always have to be in the right kind of mood so this one i was thinking oh well, i'm not sure but then when i eventually did watch it it was a it was a cracking action adventure movie. Uh, it looked amazing. It's, the cinematography is stunning. The shot composition, uh, the soundtrack, the performances. I just, I just thought it was amazing. It just blew me away when yeah. I watched it. And the music is just. Whenever I hear the music, it just, it's amazing. Right, right. I think. What about prison, you? Uh, I, yeah, I, I'll, well, I just have to say, I think the prison one was in the name of the father. Is that the one? That's the one. That's the one. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. Um, so I, you know, I, I. I like it quite a bit. Uh, I did not love it when it first came out. It was very popular when it first came out. And I remember seeing it. it. I don't remember if I saw it in theaters or not, but I remember seeing it and thinking like, yeah, it's okay. Um, You know, I mean, I liked it. I never disliked the film, but um, I actually rewatched it just, I don't know, a month or two ago, which is sort of why we ended up doing it today. Because I just thought like, oh, hey, that's never been a sequel to that. Like, let's, you know, I know it's based on a classic novel, obviously, but um, but I I did like it quite a bit, actually. I think I liked it more than I almost wanted to in a way. Not not because I didn't want to like it or I wasn't like hate watching or anything, but sometimes it's like I like to validate my opinions and be like, yeah, I was right. This movie still is overrated, but it was kind of like, no, it's actually pretty good. Um, It is still it's it's a it's a really good film. Um, uh, I think it has a couple of minor flaws but honestly everything you said about it i mean it looks great it's very i feel like very accurate to the time period like it feels like it doesn't feel like a like a modern movie that's trying and failing to look like a period piece it feels like a real like, like it captures that period you know um i do think daniel day lewis is, is really good and i feel like it's actually one of the films he's more personable in um than some of his other ones you know uh yeah. but uh yeah yeah it's a, it's a really good solid film and um I like it. I like it quite a bit. And I, I was yeah. just waiting the whole time for the whole, you know, no matter what happens, stay alive. I will find you. Yeah. Cause that's like, that's the yeah. famous scene. And then when it, when I finally saw it, I was like, yeah, okay, I get it. That scene's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I used to that's make fun true. of it almost, but now I was like, yeah, that's awesome. That's worth the wait, you know? But it's almost like it's, I'm not saying going to say it's forgotten, but I don't think it's talked about much anymore. Especially cause it's its 30th anniversary this year. Yeah, and for, for as well loved as that movie was when it came out, and 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 not to generalize, but women especially seemed to really like it. Like I feel like it had a bit of the Titanic vibe before Titanic, you know, like in yeah, that, I can see that. Yeah, I knew a lot of women who really liked it and were raving about it and were in love with Daniel Day Lewis and thought it was super romantic and all of this stuff. And um, it does seem to have kind of fallen off the pop culture radar a little bit. I mean, I think it's a well respected film, but it's not one that you hear coming up in conversation all that often which is surprising because it was very very popular when it came out so i don't know yeah. why that is you know and i think it holds a, up really well yeah and it's a directed by michael mann as well so right you know, which is michael actually mann one of the films. biggest faults with <laughs> not really <laughs> yeah. i'm not a huge yeah. michael mann film because i think he's way too serious of a filmmaker yeah. Yeah. this movie the seriousness works because it's a serious story mm-hmm. you know i feel like some of those other movies could use a little more humor than than they have you know very true yeah i do remember there's some quite quite brutal scenes as well some of the battle scenes fights yeah there's a few scalpings in this movie that are not uh, too fun to watch but 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 they're not overly gruesome either which i respected like they're a little bit bloody but they're over quick and it's not like he doesn't he doesn't linger on it so i respect that about it yeah um all right well let's why don't we get into our endings then Um, yeah let's do it uh who's kicking off tonight you or me Uh, well let me tell the story first i guess well do you tell me who's who's kicking off tonight well you tell a story then i'll go first Okay, that sounds fair. All right, so here's here's what we got. The Last of the Mohicans from 1992, directed by Michael Mann, starring Daniel Day-Lewis, Madeline Stowe, Russell Means, and Wes Studi. So in 1757, the French and Indian War is raging in America. A small Mohawk Indian family includes wise old Chingachgook, his son Uncas, and his adopted son Hawkeye, who is a white man that was adopted by the Mohawks when his family was killed as a baby, when he was a baby. Um, a British soldier, Major Hayward, and his troops are moving from Albany to Fort Edward. They are attacked by Huron Indians led by Magua, who had been acting as a guide for the English, but then betrayed them. Hawkeye and his family stumble across this attack. They save the Major and civilians, Alice and Cora Monroe, sisters, uh, and help them arrive safely at the fort under the command of Alice and Cora's father, Colonel Monroe. Along the way, and, and after the fort a bit, Cora and Hawkeye fall in love. 
very passionately. Uh, but the fort is under siege by the French and the Huron Indians, and the English eventually surrender, but are allowed to leave the fort. But Magua, who's just not a good dude, he betrays the English again, has the Huron tribe attack them all, kills most all of the English soldiers and people from the fort. Um, and they, uh, Hawkeye and his family escape, but Cora, Alice, and Major Hayward are captured. At the Huron camp, Hawkeye and Hayward bargain for the lives of the women, and Major Hayward is burned alive as part of that. Yeesh. Um, Magua takes Alice to be his wife, and the Uncas had kind of fallen in love with Alice, and she kind of fallen in love with Uncas, so they're not happy about that. So they set off after them to rescue Alice, and in the resulting battle, Uncas is killed, and Magua, the bad guy, are killed. And Alice realizes Uncas is dead. She kills herself by jumping off a mountain. Yeesh. So the film ends with just Hawkeye... Chingachgook and Cora still alive, hopeful but wary of what the future holds. And yeah. that's the nutshell version of yeah, The Last of the Mohicans. A lot going on there. I thought I could boil it down a little simpler. Like, I'm like, yeah, Indian, American, British, whatever. She falls in love at the end. And it was like, no, there's a lot more than that. Definitely. Yeah. Lots of uh, double crossing, lots of chasing around different characters, yep. lots of battles. Yep. I like the fact, though, main characters die. And it's just, it's, yeah. it's very sudden and quick. Right, right, absolutely. You don't, you don't get that enough in some stories, I think. Sometimes people have plot armor too much in many films. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But let's hear what you've got then for, now this is, you know, based on the the, the famous novel. Um, I want to say Fenimore Cooper, but maybe I'm making that up. It might be somebody else. Um, uh, but, it, uh, James, James, Fenimore, James Cooper. Fenimore Cooper. Look at me. All right, um, but uh, you know, there's never a, a novel sequel that I'm aware of. Maybe there was. I don't know. There was never a movie sequel though. So let's find out what happens after the ending of The Last of the Mohicans. Okay, uh, this is what I think happens. And apologies for any mispronunciations of names, especially. I think you got it right. What is it, Ching Chingachgook? Chingachgook. But it's hard to say, and I only got that because I watched it, and I was every time they would say it, I was like, "How do you say that?" So don't worry if you mess it up. Okay. Chingachgook, Hawkeye, and Korra spend the next few years traveling around the Adirondacks and the surrounding area. Hawkeye and Korra have a child, uh, which they name. Fight the name. Which they name after Uncas. That's it. Yes, I did. Don't know why I didn't write down. But they have a child and call him Uncas, and Chingachgook is overjoyed. They then build a more permanent home, so there's somewhere safe for Uncas to grow. Uh, while out hunting one day, though, Hawkeye finds some animals that have died. There's no wounds on them. They appear to have been poisoned. And using his tracking skills, he finds... He, it leads him to a landscape which has been devastated. Streams run black and trees are being torn down. And he chases it back to a, an almost fortress-like mining outpost. Hawkeye sees other Native Americans and people of other races uh, being kept prisoners to work in the mine. He also sees animals such as elephants and things being used to pull uh, the, the various rocks and things from the mine and the smoke pong. It's, it's just basically destroying the natural uh, environment. Hawkeye, though, is very surprised as he's scouting this area and looking around when suddenly standing next to him is a tall Englishman in a, in a suit and jacket and everything just standing next to him. He hadn't heard him approach. Wary of the newcomer, Hawkeye goes for his knife. No need for that, said the man. We're both here for the same reason. He nods over to the mine. Those damnable miners took some of my friends and family to work the mine. My name's John Clayton, and I plan on getting them all back. Are you with me? After a bit more talking, Hawkeye agrees, and they spend the next few days watching the outpost and working out patrols. Every now and again, Hawkeye hears something in the forest around him. He can never quite catch an eye what it is, and... John Clayton disappears on occasion, and he can't work out what's going on. But eventually it was time to put their rescue plan into motion. When this is decided, Hawkeye was surprised to see Clayton stripped down to just the loincloth. He was even more surprised when a chimpanzee walks out of the forest and hands Clayton a set of keys, which are obviously used for some locks in the mining area. Thank you, old friend, said Clayton to the chimpanzee. Shall we have at it then, he says to Hawkeye. Who exactly are you, says Hawkeye. Call me Tarzan. And away <laughs> they go. Very nicely done. I like that a lot. It took me a minute. I wasn't sure yeah. you were going with that. When you mentioned like the Englishman who just sort of appeared wearing a suit, I thought maybe it was like a Doctor Who thing. 
you know Ooh, that would have been good as well the way yeah. you had sort of set that up i was like the way he kind of appeared i was like is he is he doctor who uh, but then you said john clayton and then it took me a second because i'm like i know i know that name where do i know that name and but very quickly i twigged onto the fact that it was it was tarzan and, and yeah. i you know i, I recognize I could see your mind working, but didn't want to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, working. I was definitely putting it together in my head. I was like, I know where this is going, but I got to get there. It's taking me a few steps. So yeah, I, I like just, that a lot. Oh, thank you. I just thought if anyone could sneak up on Hawkeye, it would be Tarzan because you know that makes total sense. Yeah. I, that's why I like about it because he was sort of the quintessential like hunter tracker, like you know that kind of guy. So, um, yeah. but I love the idea of a of a, a, a team up between Hawkeye and Tarzan. No, so. I, lo I love all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Very you. cool. That was my after the ending. Excellent. I like it. Nice job. All right, so I guess it's my turn then. Yes, yes. Okay, here we go. Um, it starts off a little similar, but then it goes in a completely different direction. So once okay. things settle down, Hawkeye and Korra decide to face the future together. They bid farewell to Chingachgook and make their way west towards the border town of uh, Buffalo in New York. They know it'll be hard to find a place where their love will be accepted by the people around them, so they travel from town to town and state to state for a while. Hawkeye is a great provider, and their love deepens with every passing day. But before long, Cora is with child, and they know they will need to settle down before the winter. Choosing a small plot of land in southern New York and using the money Cora received from her father's inheritance, they build a house and settle in for the winter. The following spring, Cora gives birth to a son who they name Barton, Barton Monroe. Almost 20 years pass, and Barton is now 18, a man. He's been raised in both worlds, that of the white man and that of the Mohawk. When a revolution starts to brew in the United States, Cora and Hawkeye recognize that Barton will probably be conscripted into service. But Hawkeye has taught him the ways of the Mohawk well, and Barton is a natural with a bow and arrow. So he makes it through the Revolutionary War unscathed. Cora and Hawkeye live into their 80s and die peacefully in their sleep within hours of each other. That's the end. But... As you, as you know, I'm want to do sometimes. There is an after the credits scene. Okay. Okay. So we fade to black. Go to the credits. Credits end. We fade up. Barton is now married. It's a few years later. His wife is giving birth. While childbirth is painful, as I imagine they all were back then, uh, his wife makes it through and welcomes a new baby into the world. This leads us into a montage of mothers giving birth over the next 200 years, once every generation every 20 years or so until we come to the most recent mother giving birth in modern times the nurse hands the baby to the young woman and says here he is he's beautiful have you thought of a name yet clint the mother replies i think that has a nice ring to it clint barton <laughs> <laughs> and that's we fade to black excellent oh, i did like that when you, when you called, yeah when you mentioned barton i was going that's the same yeah that's right same. right well it started off as a tribute you know i thought like okay you know clint barton is hawkeye and this is this is hawk the original hawkeye and yeah, i thought yeah, yeah. Oh, it's kind of fun to, and then barton's kind of a cool name like i thought that'd be a fun little tribute but then i was like but i feel like it'd be cool if hawkeye the the marvel character was a descendant of the original hawkeye so i was like how can i work that out so that's when the after the credits the after credit scene came to me so my original oh, no. intention was just a little tribute to the yeah. marvel hawkeye but then i thought it'd be fun to play with it a bit Oh, I like that a lot, but I liked that the fact that uh, Hawkeye and Cora had a had that good life together. Well, you yeah, know, thanks. You know, I thought I, I, you know one. I, while it is an action adventure movie, I also think that you know, um, as I mentioned earlier, part of the reason why it resonated so much with women was there is this very like deep romance in it. You know, and I thought you know I want to make sure I like to, you know me. I'm a romantic. I like mm -hmm. to carry that through. So I thought I like the idea of them living in now living to their 80s. You know, back in Revolutionary War times, probably unrealistic. You know, but, yeah, 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 <laughs> you know, whatever. <laughs> it's it's all fictional. It's my ending. What the hell? And it's yeah, it's nice of them after all the uh, the all the adventure, but all the strife and the stress they went through in their early life. Be nice to for them to have that kind of life. Yeah, I figure. You know me. I like I like a happy ending. So brilliant. Our what's that? That was brilliant. I liked it a lot. It's good. Oh, did you? Ah, thank you very much. Appreciate it. All right. So there you go. That wraps up our endings for The Last of the Mohicans. Let us know what you think of Last of the Mohicans and uh, our endings in the comments, either here live or um, wherever you're watching slash listening to this episode at a later date. Um, but for now, we're going to move on to our next topic, which is juggernaut movie franchises. The fall of the juggernaut movie. No, not really. <laughs> um, that might be might be too much hyperbole, but um, 
let, I guess I'll kick off this part just to just sort of explain where we're at, Phil, because yeah, I yeah. this is sort of something I we were trying to think of something to talk about. We weren't having any good ideas. And then I, I said, well, what if we talk about because because I went and saw Morbius this week and I said, what if we use Morbius as like a kicking off point? And this is spoiler free. Anybody who's just joining us now. We're not talking about Morbius per se, but I said, what if we sort of use that as a kicking off point to talk about these like juggernaut film franchises and sort of like the inevitability of the fact that, you know, it's impossible to have these ongoing film franchises and, and never have a dud film. Right. Um, and like, you know, Spider-Man No Way Home just grossed like two billion dollars worldwide. And now we have Morbius, which is in the same Spider-Man universe. And, you know, it opened to like $40 million, which is respectable, but it's clearly yeah, not yeah. going to be a humongous, it's not a Venom-sized hit, you know? So I said, well, let's talk about sort of like, you know, these franchises, you know, Marvel, you know, Star Wars, these types of things. And, and what happens when we sort of get these inevitable disappointments, if you will. So that was sort of the genesis of our conversation. Um, so, so Phil, what, did you, you want to start us off with some thoughts, some general thoughts, maybe? Uh, well, there's... Yeah, there's all, as you say, there's there's lot, lots of film series which have just gone on and on. There's often like a bad one, but uh, think about the box office. I mean, we've got with Star Wars, you mentioned, even the ones which are divisive, like The Last Jedi, uh, they still made an awful lot of money. So some of them can still be hugely successful, even mm -hmm. though not everybody particularly likes them. But then you do have, because even Morbius, it's, it's, got, it's doing okay at the box office. not doing anything great, but... Critics are slamming it, but it seems like people are still going to see it, which is uh, uh, surprising when you read some of the reviews. But I haven't seen it, so I don't know. I can't really comment on it. Uh, but I mean, there's, I mean, even with like the long running ones, sometimes you, you can have a, a dud, but it still carries on and uh, finds its feet. Because I mean, you got Marvel, which is doing, still doing really well. Because but then you had like things with uh, Thor the Thor the Dark World. That's men considered like one of the first ones which wasn't quite as good as the other ones mm -hmm. but you just look and it still carried on and still did amazing things and go on rewatches of thought too it's not it wasn't quite as bad as i remembered right so it's even the bad ones on some of these franchises can still be pretty good or at least okay right uh, there's not many which have actually just totally sunk a franchise from what i can think of Right. You know, I think yeah. most, you know, I think most franchises are, are, are the big ones like that are popular enough that people can forgive kind of a, a misstep and they're not going to yeah. be like, well, that's it. Now, Marvel is dead to me or James Bond is dead to me or Star Wars is dead to me because one film wasn't that good. I think you'd have to put out three or four bad ones in a row to really start losing people. But, um, you know, I do think it's interesting. I, I, I have seen Morbius, I will say. And again, spoiler free. Um, but um, I liked it. It's it's not a great film. It's not like, oh, this is an amazing film. But I took my daughter, my teenage daughter. We both thought it was like a perfectly enjoyable movie you know um yeah, yeah it's it's low stakes you know it's a very small story um about this one character there's not a lot of big stuff happening in it you know um it's an origin story you know but it's i mean and it's not like you know it's not a masterpiece um but jared leto is really good in it um all the supporting cast is good it does have some cool visuals and a few decent action scenes um it's just like a solid film you know what i mean it's like a b you know, maybe a B minus or a B plus, depending on how you feel that day, you know, but it's that kind of movie. And when I say a B movie, I don't mean a B movie like the traditional, like cheesy, cheap, you know, kind of films. I just mean like it's a, I, I give it a B, you know, yeah, three stars, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you look at it from this franchise point of view, you know, again, Sony, it is the Sony effect, like you said, in that Sony films, the Sony Marvel stuff isn't as good as the Marvel Marvel stuff. But, you know, um, I think what what I've always kind of considered was like even when Disney you know bought bought Star Wars and started putting out Star Wars films and you know the first few were, were great because like you know Force Awakens I absolutely love um, uh, Rogue One is a masterpiece you yeah, know yeah. and it seemed like oh my gosh they can do no wrong and then the Last Jedi and um, you know the Rise of Skywalker came out and proved that that wasn't the case but. Um, you know, I, even at the time, I was like, people were excited. And I was like, you know, we have to look at this and recognize that at some point, if they just make an infinite number of Star Wars movies, right, at some point, there's going to be a bad one. You know, there's going to yeah, be yeah. one that's disappointing. And Marvel's the same thing, right? I don't think Marvel proper studios has made an out and out terrible film, right? But if they keep putting out three movies a year, or two or three, however many you want to look at, there's going to be one eventually that's just going to just be awful. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, yeah. maybe not. But but law of averages says it'll it'll probably happen, you know. Um, and for my money, I think there have been a couple that were in recent years, you know, a little less 
awesome than some of their earlier ones, you know, for my money. I, I thought both Black Widow and Shang-Chi were both good films, yeah. um, but maybe a little underwhelming. Neither one of them like blew me away. You know, I didn't leave the studio, the theater being like, I can't wait to watch that again. You know, um, I, I like them. I don't dislike them, you know. Uh, but, but, you know, I certainly would be like, okay, maybe the, maybe the sheen is a little less, or maybe the, the, you know, maybe they're not quite at the level that they were at when they were in the midst of like the Avengers, you know, and stuff like that. So, you know, it's bound to happen. Right. So what do we, what, what happens then, I guess, is the question, you know, how do they respond to it? Yeah. Well, well the case of like, uh, the mission impossible films, mission impossible mm. two, that was kind of a, a bit of a dud. It's the low but, point in the franchise. Yeah. Hands down. Yeah. <laughs> uh, mission, mission, people. I remember Mission Impossible 3 got a bit slated as well, even though I really like it. But yeah, I think Mission too. Impossible 2, the reaction to that, they took a, lo a good, long, hard look at it and then retooled it uh, with uh, Mission Impossible 3. And then they learned from that as well. And they've constantly just changed things just a little bit until they found this formula now, which has just been... It's it's one of the few blockbuster ones where you got like Tom Cruise. He's got one of the few movie stars who can still open a movie like that, a big name can mm -hmm. do that and it's just they seem to they took the opportunity instead of just doubling down on it and going well no we're right we're going to keep doing this the audience don't know what they're talking about they sort of went well the audience didn't enjoy that as much and so let's just take a take a break and let's just see what we can do and that that seemed to work well yeah it's interesting because i i look at i actually look at mission impossible as a franchise as a little bit similar to and bear with me on this fast and furious franchise oh no but i can I, see that yeah, yeah. And, yeah because they sort of reinvented mission impossible after the third film a little bit like there's a very distinct tonal shift between the first three mission impossibles of which i really like the first and the third one and yeah, mission yeah, Impossible yeah. four five and six which kind of have like a little bit of a narrative through line and some new characters and they they build off of the the, the marriage in episode in this in the third one and it, it's like there's a really distinct kind of vibe difference between one through three and and four through six and four through six i think are the best films in the franchise and they're the ones that i think really um sort of have a very clear connective tissue whereas the first three kind of feel like three separate movies you know yeah 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 um and that's to me very similar of like, like fast and the furious where one through four are kind of much smaller i mean they're they're all you know loud car movies but they're much smaller group of characters and then five through nine became these like world globe trotting super spy adventures you know whereas the first four are much more about like car racing and car thieves you know um so i feel like that's the kind of where those two franchises kind of um you know meld a little bit or cross lines you know um but even in those franchises i mean you know we've got another mission impossible coming. Hopefully it'll be great, but for fast and the furious. Now, you know, I feel about those movies. Yeah. 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 Um, and the latest one I enjoyed, but it certainly wasn't as good as the couple before that, you know, doesn't mean I'm gonna stop watching them obviously, but you know, um, so I think, I guess the, I guess the formula is how much goodwill do you build up in your audience before you hit a dud? Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, and if That's you don't, one, yeah. if you don't have enough, then you got to work really hard to get them back. I feel like, yeah, I, th I think you do have to like like they've done with Fast and Furious and, and Mission Impossible and some others, they where they have where they've listened to the fans and this and they they they're not taking notes and say well they're not they're not being ruled by the fans but they're going well we know this works we know right. people like this let's right. keep doing this but tweak it every now and again. Uh, I think as long as they do that, then they can as long as they keep the fans goodwill and that will work. It's certain in, it's in. Sometimes, though, when they just keep going, well, no, we're going to keep doing what we're doing. The fans don't know what they're talking about. We're going to do what we... Because I think sometimes, and it's not even just in films, but in some things they go, they forget that it's the fans and who are the ones which make these things possible. I know they make them and stuff, but if the fans don't come, especially with a long-running series, if the fans don't keep coming back, then you're not going to keep getting the money to make these films. So you need to right. make sure... I'm not talking about pandering to the fans, but just making sure... That it's it's something which the fans want to see, but every now and again change it a little bit, you know, just so it it doesn't become boring and monotonous. But just just to see if that works, and then just take a good note on that. Yeah. But it's like with the, I mean, it's like with the James Bond films. Sometimes, I mean, they've constantly sort of changed. They keep the same basic through line, mm -hmm. but they change every, you know, they they they're often they just follow follow the flow of the zeitgeist. Often with the, you know, the way they the tone of the film as well. More recently, it's been more realistic, uh, less gadgets, but then there was Roger Moore, which was more gadgets, more humor, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, 
this constant flow as, as long as you're aware of what's going on in the world outside and and what the people who enjoy these films are, are doing then yeah i think you, you're on to a winner you can have some some duds but you know you can course correct right but, yeah but, uh, I mean, I, I think there's something to be said for listening to the fans. You know, I feel like sometimes the studios that double down on things, you know, I, I feel like Star Wars does that sometimes, you know, they, yeah, they, yeah. they don't always give the fans what they want. And it's like, you know what? The fans are happier when they give us what we want. And then you make more money typically, you know what I mean? Um, you know, Force Awakens, you know, was huge juggernaut because it brought back the legacy characters that we all wanted to see. Right. And, and, and Rogue One, you know, worked really well. It had a, a tie into the original film. But then you look at something like, you know, Solo, which I like Solo, a Star Wars mm -hmm. story. You know, I think it's a perfectly fine film. It's very enjoyable to me. I don't, it's not nearly as bad as a lot of people say it was, but nobody really wanted a young Han Solo story, you know? Yeah, and, yeah, and it was yeah. kind of like, they were like, well, we're going to do it because we want, we want to do a young Han Solo story because we can think we can make another franchise out of it. But it's like, yeah, but you know, if you'd made a Boba Fett movie, like everybody on the planet seemed to want, like you would have made twice as much, three times as much money. You know what I mean? Like sometimes I feel like, you know what, just, just, maybe once in a while just listen to the fans and give them what they want and be done with it. You know what I mean? Yeah, because sometimes yeah. they know better almost, you know? Yeah, um, but, then, but then you have films like uh, the Terminator series, which just keeps trying. Yeah. But see, and, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I like the, the later Terminator sequels more than most people. And I think Terminator dark fate is the best film since the second one. So like, you know, and that's a and then now again in Terminator Dark Fate, they gave us what we wanted, right? They brought back the characters that we wanted, yeah, and, I, true, and yeah. I think it's the yeah. best one since the second since yeah. the second film. Now, I honestly believe it's a really great film, but can I deny that part of that probably comes from the fact that they brought back what I wanted to see and gave me the movie I wanted to see? I mean, it's obviously that must have been a part of it, right? So yeah, 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 you know, that's, and that's yeah, again, I mean, good. You have a good point though as well, because even the duds and the lousy film in a series it's still gonna have the there's still gonna be fans for it who then go no i really like that though i want more right. of that right so it's i suppose it does come down to to which fans which group of fans can it's it's a balancing act it's a crazy balancing act and yeah and i don't, I don't it's think amazing we have so many film series which do continue Right. I'm not saying you should just do whatever the fans want like take a poll and write the film by committee i just think yeah. sometimes it's kind of like well you know you can read the room and sort of get a sense of what fans want and then you're like nope not doing that it's like well okay you know why does that make sense like fast and furious the fans want to see the family you know and they want this big across the world stuff like so they're digging into that you know they're doubling down on that yeah, and people yeah. love it and they keep making tons of money you know like that works you know um so yeah i think so you know i think most of these franchises can survive a dud or two but i, I think they have to be careful not to hit too many bad notes in a row and and they'll be just fine yeah i think i think warner brothers really need to work on their yeah well, yeah that's I why a lot of, that's why some of those dc movies didn't make money right batman versus superman should have been the biggest movie in the world you know but it wasn't because they had had too many bad ones in a row now they're starting mm -hmm. to come out of it a little bit but you can you know it took a while for them to really start getting some of those hits back so they definitely were on the precipice i think that's definitely true yeah but, cool. uh, no I, I think uh yeah so any viewers out there let us know what you think of films which have sort of derailed franchises or been a you know a bit of a dud which ones, which duds do you like that you yeah, can't understand or, what the people don't like? And and which franchises have you given up on because maybe you don't like? You know, let's, mm -hmm. let's hear about that as well. So definitely share your thoughts and let us know what you think. All right, very cool. So let's move on then to our top five list because I'm excited to get to this one because we all know I love things blowing up in movies. I love movies where stuff blows up. I'm a simple man. What can I say? Fast and Furious movies, right? So oh, our top gosh. five today is the top five coolest explosions in movie history, or at least in, you know, relatively movies, movie history. You know, I don't yeah, know if it's yeah. every single movie ever. I don't know if any of us dove deep into every action movie ever created, but top five coolest explosions. So, Phil, as always, I'll ask, did you have any criteria for your list? Uh, well, I was I was going with ones that I really like. Uh, yeah. One which are, oh, then I decided to go, because I, I was going, well, what about the... Uh, scene in scanners where the head explodes because no. right. that's cool that's cool and probably you know could be on lots of lists but then i thought no let's have it proper just explosions where things go right 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 yeah yeah i think that's a good criteria um well, i, I was they have to be like huge big explosions but as long as it's something with explosions going boom yeah yeah what I about agree. you 
Um, very similar. I mostly just went for the ones I like the best. Um, I did also focus on like big explosiony things, not like you said, like people's heads blowing up stuff like that. Um, originally, I sort of started to think like maybe I'll only do just for my own personal gratification. I'll only do things that were done like practically, not like through special effects where like things were really blown up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. But that went away because it left out some explosions that I thought were really awesome. Um, several of mine are pretty big, but some of them are less big, but more impactful. So ultimately my criteria was saying kind of just had to be really cool. Had to be something that resonated with me for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. I also think it's going to be one of those lists where one of us won't mention something and the other one goes, oh no. Yeah. That should have been on my list and things yeah, like that. Yeah. Probably. And also one which could have a different, there could be different films in it depending upon the day or what I've watched and things like that. Absolutely. I mean, my, there's definitely, I have some on my list that are kind of like not, that didn't make it into my final top five, um, but could in a different day if I had watched the movie more recently or, you know, yeah, things like yeah. that. So, um, all right. Well, I guess I should start since you started the last, uh, the after the endings. That's um, right. Yeah. So you uh, kick things off. All right. So our top five movie explosions. What are the coolest explosions on film? That's what we're talking about today. Uh, my number five is Terminator 2. And it is the Cyberdyne building exploding. Um, you know, it's 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 they're they're kind of under siege by all of the police, and you know they're trapped and they get out of this and that, and then they blow up the whole building. And it's James Cameron, and I just I love the way it's shot with the multiple angles. They they blew up a real building that was scheduled for demolition, so I like that. I do tend to prefer practical explosions where things really blow up um and it's just because that's a movie that was such an indelible part of my my teenage years and i saw that movie five times in theaters it just is one that when it, the minute i thought of like cool explosions i was like well that's the first one that came to mind just because that's yeah, one yeah. that just resonates with me so well so um, i'm sure you all know it's the big kind of black glass squarish building and it just the whole top part of it just blows out and we see it from all these different angles and cops are running everywhere and cars are exploding with it and everything and it's just great and it's fun and i love it so that's my number five terminator to the explosion of the Cyberdyne building. Excellent. It uh, didn't quite make my list, but it was uh, in contention for a while. There but, you go. Uh, it is a very good uh, explosion. Like you say, the ones where they do actually blow something up for real is yeah. uh, makes all the difference. Okay. Uh, my my number five is uh, Die Hard. Mm, the yeah. first Die Hard film on the top where he's, uh, you know, where they end up blowing when you find, you do find out partway through that they've been setting explosives and then eventually when they do blow the top of the building, as uh, John McClane's leaping off there, and it's just there. That's just a huge explosion. You see it from a few angles as well, but it's a big explosion in the middle of uh, the city. Just looks amazing on the big screen. Watched it over in December for no reason, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just even now it still still works well. And just it's it's the impact as well. Just seeing uh, Bruce Willis just leaping down with that yep. uh, behind him, the silhouette of him, it's amazing. That's my number five. Great choice. It was on my short list and just, I, you know, I couldn't even tell you sometimes how with some of the, why I picked certain ones over other ones. Cause now yeah. once you said that, I was like, Oh, I should have put that on my list, but it didn't make it, but it was on my, it was on my short list. So it would definitely be in my honorable mentions. So um, my number four is probably the most obscure one on the list. I, I, not uh, obscure. Maybe isn't the right word, but probably the least known uh, explosion. And the only reason it probably made my list is because I just watched this movie like a week ago. Um, so there's a little bit of recency bias, but okay. I was so impressed with it. It's uh, Blown Away, the movie Blown Away with uh, Jeff Bridges and Tommy Lee Jones. It's from the late 90s, I want to say. Um, I've not seen that in such a long time, but a friend of mine watched it the other week and sent me a photo from it. And I went, oh, my God. Yeah. They're so young in it. I know, I know. It's a really good movie. It holds up quite well. It's about a, um, you know, uh, this Irish bomber guy who wants revenge on Jeff Bridges, and Tommy Lee Jones plays him, and he keeps blowing people up on the bomb squad because Jeff Bridges is on the bomb squad, so on and so forth. But in the climax of the movie, um, spoiler alert, I guess for a thirty-year-old movie or whatever, twenty-five-year-old movie, uh, the climax of the movie, they're on this like there's this like um, I guess it's, it's like a casino ship, so it's not like a full-on cruise ship, but it's like one of these like giant kind of bigger than like a barge, but smaller than yeah, a cruise yeah. ship. But it's a pretty big ship, and it's like this dilapidated old thing on this like old docks in like Boston. And it's like kind of leaning, but it's a big, big ship, and um, it, it and it gets blown up uh, in it, and it was a practical explosion. And I w was watching this film, and I was like that 
is the coolest explosion I've ever seen. Like it blows up kind of like in sequence. So it's like because of the way the bombs are. So it kind of blows up like one section at a time until the whole thing is blown up. And it is massive. I mean, they must have blown out windows in nearby neighborhoods because it is huge and it is all done practically. The only the only kind of um, complaint that I have from the scene is that like the two guys running away from it don't jump off the docks into the water until after the whole thing is blown up. And you're like, well, at that point, why would you even bother jumping? So you're kind of like should have jumped when it first exploded and the explosion knocked you in but it looks really really cool and it's just i don't know it's just one of those ones that really makes you appreciate great pyrotechnic work because i was just sat there i like enraptured i rewound it to watch it again because it's just so cool looking to watch this this whole giant ship just explode and be done like i said all practically it, it was really cool so it's blown away against a late 90s action movie really good um and it's the ship called the dolphin and that's the scene that makes my number four cool i need to watch that again i remember i enjoyed that when i first saw it but I've, yeah I've it's good it holds up really well yeah i liked it oh so many films to rewatch can't wait I know. okay <laughs> well my uh my number four yeah yeah is there uh, it's two films uh one from 1969 and one from 1957 wow. so i'll go year order 1957 the bridge on the river Kwai. ah it's, yes uh, alec guinness william holden jack hawkins some prisoner wars building a bridge over the river Kwai, and then they realize they they want to blow it up because they will help stop uh, enemy movements uh, and it's, the, it's basically near the end of the film spoiler alert they blow it up yeah. but it's uh, it's they built the bridge practically they built it for the film and then they blew it up for the film but it's a huge explosion you just see it going flying everywhere they had lots of cameras set up and everything and alec guinness's uh, mm. performance is just stunning it's a great explosion great film worth watching if you haven't seen it and the 1969 film is the italian job Star Michael Caine, and it's a smaller explosion, but it's when they're getting ready, they're, they're trying, they're working out how to do the robbery of these trucks in Italy, but they're still back in England, and it's when they get one of the trucks, and they're trying to work out how much explosive to use to to open it, and they use too much explosives, it, it blows up the truck, and then you get Michael Caine's Immortal Lions, uh, you only suppose the, the bloody doors off. That was a dreadful <laughs> effect, you don't know what happened there, but that's, uh, it's the explosion is pretty cool anyway, but it's just, it's with that line that Michael Caine gives afterwards. It's very funny. Uh, and that's a good point, but that's uh, my number four. Excellent choice. Um, I love Bridge on the River Kwai. I love that explosion. It, again, was on my short list. Didn't make the final cut. Um, I've actually never seen the original Italian job. Uh, I've only seen the remake. Oh, okay. remake so yeah. that is a hole in my filmography that I have to now watch. Uh, it's been on my list, but I'll yeah. try and watch it sooner than later. Uh, my number three is uh is where i realized i would not be able to stick with just um practical explosions and i'd have to go for some special effects explosions as well um and it is from the matrix and it is the helicopter slamming into the skyscraper and exploding because damn if that's not the coolest explosion ever because it's not just an explosion it's like it's in the matrix so first the helicopter crashes into the side of the building and all of the windows ripple out from that yeah. right which is just so cool and then it blows up and you see trinity and and neo like swinging away from it as the building explodes behind them and the glass shatters everywhere it's just such a great visual you know it's not the biggest explosion on my list um you know it's not the most famous explosion on my list but man like because that movie was so mind-blowing when it came out and that scene with that with the way they did the special effects for that to work that all out it's just it's it's hands down the coolest of the explosions in my opinion like the, the it's number three on my list because there was a couple explosions i felt were more like you know momentous or more important to mention but as far as just hands down cool that one takes the cake, in my opinion. So that's my number three. The Matrix, the helicopter explosion, the special effects, the way it worked all together. I love it. Yeah, an excellent choice. Almost made my list as well, but it's, uh, yeah, that, that is a good one. I do like that. Okay, cool. my number three is uh, from uh, 1997's The Fifth Element, and it's the one uh, near the end when there's a bomb, a time bomb, which means keeps ticking down, and it's on the Flotsam... Flotsam Jetson, the yeah, yeah, the big, uh, the big space hotel. Flotsam uh, space, something like that. Isn't that what it is? Uh, the flot, it's flots. Anyway, it's on the big ship. Yeah, with with the opera singer is. But there's a bomb that's counting yeah. down. Eventually, uh, it's the second Bruce Willis film as well on the list. But it's, right. they eventually switch off the uh, stop the timer. But then one of the bad guys who's dying sets it off, and everything goes boom. And by boom. I do mean boom. It's a huge explosion. It looks incredible on the scene. And then when you, it, at the time, it was the largest indoor explosion 
Mm. I don't think it was planned to be. I think it was a lot bigger <laughs> than they they wanted it to be uh, because it was a bit controversial because it, it could have really caused some tremendous harm and damage to. But luckily, it it was controlled. But it, I think it was larger than they expected. But it looks amazing on screen. You do need some of these practical effects to just make things really just meld everything together. Uh, but yeah. in a film full of amazing effects and things and scenery, but this was that's just a great moment uh, near the end of the film as well. But that's mm -hmm. uh, just one of those explosions which always stuck with me. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I checked it while you're while you're talking, and we, we were both wrong. Um, but I'm not going to lie; I was a little bit closer than you. Um, it's okay. the it's uh, it's in Paradise. Flossed in Paradise, that's a yeah. Yes, so yeah. I, I thought Flossed in Space, which I thought seemed a little too on the nose, was Flossed in Paradise is the name of the ship. So uh, There we go, there we go. All right, uh, but good choice, good choice. That one I did not think of, to be honest with you, so that wasn't on my list, but that is a, that is a good choice, so I like it. Well, I, I was reminded by my friend Andy, who's a huge fan of The Fifth uh, Element. I know that movie uh, has its diehard, diehard fans for yeah. sure. So we ever do a Fifth Element after? I feel like we must have done a Fifth Element after. I think we have, yeah. I think so too. All right. Um, my number two will probably not be on your list, um, but that's okay. Maybe it will. I don't know. Because I think you maybe like the explosion better than the movie. Um, but it is, I believe to date, the largest explosion ever filmed. It holds the world record. It is from the movie Spectre, James Bond, Spectre. Oh, yeah. And it is the Spectre compound in Morocco. Um, and not only is it a massive, awesome explosion, but it was filmed practically. And the way the shot is framed it starts off with kind of like James Bond and, and the girl uh, whose name escapes me at the moment um, uh, with the kind of the one big explosion behind them. And then it kind of pans back and you see the whole complex. It's kind of a big circular complex, like exploding oh, building yeah. by building it zooms out. And the two of them are standing there kind of watching it from like an over, not an overpass, but like, you know, a higher ground type of thing. And you just see it, the, the, the scope and the size of it get bigger and bigger as it goes. Um, it's really, really cool looking. I remember when I rewatched Spectre a year or two ago and I was like, wow, I, I forgot about that, but that's a really kick-ass explosion. Um, and then I was looking up to this list and I, I found out that it, it, it broke uh, and broke some Michael Bay record. I think maybe Pearl Harbor for the biggest explosion ever filmed and i believe it still stands as the largest yeah. uh i don't know what they measure that by megatons or size or what <laughs> but um whatever it was it's a big explosion and i think it looks really really cool and i love the cinematography of it and the way the shot is framed so that's my number two specter the the specter compound in uh morocco the, from from james bond franchise of course with daniel craig that's my number two good call yeah i've forgotten about that explosion but yeah i remember the one you mean yeah Yep. Okay. I, I just checked as well while you're doing that. We did go after the ending of The Fifth Element back in episode 42. There you go. And that's another reason why I can't change the numbering of our episodes, because now it wouldn't be number 42 anymore. So there we go. There we go. Okay. Uh, mine, uh, my number two is uh, 2008's The Dark Knight, and it's the scene where the Joker <laughs> sets off the, uh, the hospital explosion. Again, they really blew up the building, but I love Heath Ledger's performance as well, where he's trying to He's using the detonator and it doesn't go off straight away. And then mm. eventually it just goes boom. But it's a huge explosion again, seen from different angles. And just things things are flying through the air. Looks amazing. Uh, it's got a bit of a comedy element to it. Uh, just fits the style and tone of the film really well. That's my number two. Yeah, that's a great choice. And it was also on my short list. And again, a movie I just rewatched a couple of weeks ago. I feel like maybe that's where I came up with this top five list because I've watched a lot of movies recently that have big explosions. Oh, yeah, yes, yeah. Um, although, well, I was blown away was the moment when I thought of it. When I watched that explosion, I was like, that was so cool. And I was like, that's so cool. We could rank it. That's where I got the idea for this list specifically. But I have obviously watched a lot of movies because I just watched that one. Um, but I think that's a great choice. And it was on my short list, like I said, really close to making it on the final, but I did leave it off. So, all right, that brings us to my number one which is not the coolest explosion on the list it's not the biggest explosion on the list um it's not the most amazing explosion on the list it's not the most anything on the list except for this i think it's the most iconic explosion on the list okay it is the destruction of the white house from independence day because i think when you think of explosions in movies, that's got to be one of the most famous and well-loved of all time. Like that's the one you see in like movie montages of like yeah, anything. Yeah. If you're going to see an action movie montage, it's going to be that shot. If you're going to see uh, a, a science fiction montage, it's that shot. If it's movies of the 90s, 
is it's that shot like you know what i mean like that i feel like that explosion of that giant alien ship you know we and people forget nowadays it's easy to forget but independence day was a huge phenomenon back in the day it was a monstrous yeah, yeah. box off this hit that was like everybody was talking about it, it was on you know it was, it was the pop culture moment you know and that scene of that giant big round alien ship shooting down that beam and the white house blowing into smithereens like i just feel like there are a few explosions in, in film history more famous than that. I can think of one or two that didn't really f go on my list for that one, but that's just such a like, because, you know, I think up until then the white house had been kind of sacred in films. I don't remember anybody yeah. ever doing anything like that before. Now it's been I done a bunch of times. That was the one It was kind of like, Whoa, I can't believe they blew up the white house. And it was in all the trailers and all of that stuff. And I, I feel like even if you're not American, right? Like it's still an iconic um location that everyone knows and it's an iconic scene of it getting blown up and to me that's the one that kind of just stood out as like when i was looking at the list like i said it's not necessarily my favorite explosion or the coolest one but i was kind of like it's just got to be number one because it's like that's the one everyone just sees it and goes yep independence day i know it i know that scene so that's my number one the blowing up that's of the good call. it was good call. it was on my short list for a while didn't make it but yeah it's because it's it's a great great scene as well it's, it's a great mm -hmm. explosion yeah as you say iconic building it also just shows you know just how powerful these aliens are because for a long long time the white house in america was seen as like you know the, one of the biggest world powers and that that was a good symbol of it and just right as you said it was always untouched really wasn't it the white house in films yeah. before then yeah good call i'm glad it made your list i was thinking about putting it on mine but didn't quite make it but sure uh, my number one is uh from 1979 it's apocalypse now ah, okay. i love the smell of napalm in the morning it's a uh, robert right. duval calls in a napalm yep raid and you just uh, you see them all his, his soldiers surfing on the river and you see the jets come flying in and they really did blow up a big huge huge chunk of yeah of jungle because if you haven't seen the make the documentary about the making of apocalypse now go see it even if you haven't seen if you're not a fan of the film but it's just crazy the amount of practical stuff they did on that film and how close well there were some yeah anyway some bad things did happen to some people on there but this one is just an incredible explosion just iconic it looks amazing on the big screen yeah uh, and it's just my number one because it just even now just it just blows me away no pun intended uh, <laughs> when you see it when you see it uh, and also because i've recently got sent the uh the new godfather trilogy 4k so it's a bit of a francis ford coppola in my mind sure, but it's, uh, that's sure. my number one the napalm scene in Apocalypse Now. That's a great choice. I mean, with the music and everything too, you know, and like, I mean, that is a, that's a, a, a an awesome scene. Like you said, it is big. It is huge. It is when you see it on the big screen, I imagine. I haven't seen it on the big screen. I've seen it on my big screen TV, but not. In yeah, the yeah, yeah. That's, that's pretty cool. Um, So excellent choice. You know, what's interesting. I don't know. Is it, I, mean, I didn't, I don't know if I expected it, but I thought, I'm a little surprised that for as often as we put these movies on lists or things like that, that neither of us put the, the Death Star uh, blowing up from Star Wars. Uh, yeah, that's, I was talking about that today. Yeah. I was talking about the list and I was going, yeah. well, should I put it on? I don't know, I, but it's, I don't know if it's just because it's just so ingrained. That stuff, yeah, that or and I don't know if it's like it is, it, it maybe suffers a little bit. I know they enhanced it for the special edition, but like it's a cool explosion in the original film, but it's not like it's not the greatest effect in that movie. Like it's kind of clearly yeah, a yeah. model, it's not the biggest explosion in the world, it's just like a normal sort of explosion. Like I don't, you know what I mean? It didn't, it didn't really jump out at me as far as being like you know, top five worthy necessarily. Yeah, yeah. so it's but certainly a, an honorable mention, yeah, definitely. But it's just probably been surpassed by. Other yeah, other I, I guess I said I thought I the reason I bring it up is only because I was kind of like, well, I'm not gonna put it on, but I bet Phil will, so it'll still get in there. And then you didn't put it on either. <laughs> I was like, all right, well, you know, <laughs> can't win them all. <laughs> yeah, we can't. Yeah, but that's a good one. Go. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. What's your favorite explosions? Anyway, there's so many more out there. When I was putting this list together, uh, there's so many, and I kept thinking about them. There's probably more. I was thinking about Iron Man as well, where. This, in the first one where, you know, he, he fires the missile at the tank yes. and he turns it away and walks, and that's a... Right, right, right. That is awesome. Well, that, yeah. That could be another list, couldn't it? Uh, when people walking away from explosions. People walking away from explosions could totally be a separate list, because that's a yeah. whole different kind of... Because the explosions themselves aren't usually the focus there, so yeah. it's a different yeah. experience. But yeah, we could definitely do that one of these days, too. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like you said, drop us comments. What are your favorite explosions? There's a ton of great ones. It was it was not an easy list to put together, so I think we kind of went for some of the big, iconic ones, but I think there's a lot of other ones that are just like, that's really cool that we could mm -hmm. mention as well. So. Yeah. 
All right, there you go. So that's our top five explosions. No overlap on our list. I thought that was kind of cool, actually. I think yeah, we had a lot of similar. Um, I think our short lists were probably very similar, but then our actual top five. I feel like you picked all the ones I didn't. I picked all the ones you didn't. So that worked out. Yeah, better. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's good. So. All right. All right. So that's going to bring us to our final segment of the show, which is going to be ATE recommends. What are Phil and Mike enjoying right now? What are we digging on? Uh, you know, what's what's uh, what, what's what, what's cool as, we're, as far as we're concerned? And, and as Phil, as you mentioned earlier, doesn't have to be movies. Can, in fact, it usually yeah, isn't yeah. It can be anything. Um, so uh, why don't you kick us off with yours then, Phil? OK, I've got a couple today. All right. Uh, one of the novel. Uh, Butcher's Crossing by. John Williams, not the, yeah, uh, not the, not the composer. Okay. Oh, I didn't. Wait, John Williams wrote a novel? No, it's not him. It's oh. a, an author called John Williams. Okay, yeah, I was going to say. No, this was a, this was a, it's a, when was it first published? Uh, 1960. But okay. It's a, it's a Western, or it's told at the end of the Western, but it's about this young man who ends up in this small, I won't say town because it's tiny, just a crossroads place called Butcher's Crossing. Uh, because he's trying to find himself, uh, but he gets so he heads off into the the west with uh, a couple of guys to go hunting buffalo, uh -huh. uh, and it's kind of a bit like it's a bit like Moby Dick in a way about obsession and things like that. But it's about the telling of it's basically of a time changing and passing. Uh, really blew me away. Uh, it was uh, just I devoured it over like about two or three days. It's a really mm -hmm. good book. Recommend okay. it. Cool. Uh, a bit gory in places, but not too bad. But it's, uh, it's, yeah, I think it's getting made into a film as well with uh, Nicolas Cage. Oh, cool. Uh, I don't know how that's going. And the other one is, uh, it's a collection that's just come out this week, I think. Uh, Astro City, yes. the Metro book, Kate Busiak's collection of, uh, well, written by Kate Busiak, but it's the collection of Astro City volumes one and two. So it comes with all together, and there's 18 issues in there, but it's just, if you haven't read, Astro City, this is a good place to jump on. Uh, it's just stunning. Great, great uh, comic book archetypes all wrapped up in, in great stories, some which are a bit surprising as well. And it's still the very first one with the Samaritan dreaming about flying, even though he's like a Superman guy. It just it just makes me so sad, but also <laughs> it's amazing. So uh, I'm glad you mentioned that. I didn't think to bring that up for my recommendations, but uh, I bought that book when it came out last week at my comic store because I love Astro City and it's been years since I've reread some of those stories. Now they're reprinting the entire series in this, I think it's four or six of these Metro books. Yeah, yeah, so um, I'm going to get them out. Highly recommended. It is kind of meant to be, it's like you said, superhero archetypes, but also sort of like... Kurt Busiek doing what he did with Marvels, which was sort of like the focus is on sort of viewing the superheroes from the man on the street perspective. It's less like, you know, following the superheroes around and more like normal people kind of and and how they experience superheroes, yeah, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. So it's a really different kind of take on, on superheroes that I is, is utterly fantastic. So that's a great yeah. recommendation. Yeah, I love the way it jumps around. Yeah, just because as you say, there's like Man on the street, but then it, now and again, it's from the superheroes. But even then, it's a different perspective on it. Yeah, like the one yeah. with the marathon where you just you don't you don't really think about that. He can do all these things, but yeah, but right. It's, it's definitely yeah. Even when it is with the superheroes, it's meant to be kind of from that different angle. It's yeah. it's you know, it's not just like hey, there's a super team. We're fighting bad guys, you know. But I'm, um, I'm glad so. it's being reissued as well, though, because I I read lots of the earlier issues, but then there's many ones afterwards which I just missed right. out and just didn't manage to catch. So it's been great diving back into it. So. Absolutely, great stuff. All right. Now, uh, I have to caveat my recommendation real quick in that um, it's a book. I haven't actually read it yet. Now, I know what you're thinking. Like, why would I recommend <laughs> it? Um, I don't usually recommend things I haven't actually read yet. But here's the thing. I've sort of read pieces of it. Okay. Uh, let me explain. So uh, let me do the thing. Hang on. So um, here it is. It is still just a geek. An uh -huh. annotated memoir by Will Wheaton. Um, now, here's the thing. This is an annotated version, an updated version of his original memoir, biography, whatever you want to call it, called Just a Geek. Um, I did not read that originally, and now I have this one. Um, it's kind of in this format where it's like the original stuff with annotations, and then he's updated and added stuff. It's, it's all about him, like his career in acting, his sort of after acting career, although he still acts, but things like his, his love of video games, his social media, and all that stuff. But here's, here's why I recommend it, even though I haven't read the actual book. Um, a lot of the stuff from it, he does take some of the stuff from like his social media posts okay. and, and 
bring those over stuff like that. And I follow him on social media. He's one of my favorite people to, to follow on social. And I, I read his posts all the time. They're big, lengthy diatribes a lot of times. And so he's brought a lot of them over into the book. So I know that a lot of the content in the book is really good because I've read it as it was originally posted. I got so you. I haven't read the book in its collected form yet, but I know that the content in it is awesome because he's really a great writer and, and just has a lot of great things to talk about a wide variety of subjects. So I'm going to read it, but I got it today. It was waiting for me when I got home on my porch. Um, I opened up the box and I was so excited about it. And this was maybe 10 minutes before I came upstairs to record. So I was like, well, I got to bring that. I got to talk about that because it just came out yesterday. No, it came out today, actually. Today, it just came out today. Um, so I, I was like, I was too excited not to talk about it. So even though I haven't fully read it, I can heartily recommend it. I don't think anyone will be disappointed because his, his stuff is awesome. So that's it. It's still Just a Geek by Will Wheaton. Um, Big Bang Theory, you know, Star Trek, uh, video gaming, you know, all that stuff that's in here. And, and it's a lot of fun. Excellent. So there we yeah. go. Sounds like an interesting format as well, doing it, Taika. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. I've been flipping through it, and it's definitely like, you know, it's got every page kind of has footnotes with like little extra stories and thoughts, and I love that stuff. I'm a weird footnote. Yeah, me too. Right? Yeah. As long as I don't have to flip to the back of the book. I like them when they're on the page, and then I, yeah. I love that, getting kind of the, the thoughts behind the thoughts and stuff. You know, it's, it's a really fun way of doing it for me, so I'm looking forward to it, and I will report in once I fully officially read it. I'll let you guys know how it is as well. Excellent. Look forward to that. Yeah, yeah for sure. All right, so we got a lot packed into uh, exactly one hour. As I said, all right, so we, we kicked over to the one hour mark on the dot. That's pretty cool. Um, nice. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I find things like that exciting. But that is going to start to wrap us up. Uh, Phil, any last thoughts for our listeners slash viewers? Uh, just go out and watch some good movies, some bad movies, um, films with great big explosions. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> what more can you ask for, right? Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. We had a lot of fun putting it out there. Hope you'll have fun watching and or listening to it. Uh, but that is going to wrap us up for today. So as always, we thank you greatly for listening. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And we'll see you next time. After the ending.